Thanks for listening to this Word in Your Ear podcast. If you'd like to get early access to all our productions ad-free, priority booking for our live events, and to take part in our weekly quiz, go to patreon.com slash wordinyourear for more details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. You're listening to a podcast from The Word. So we were talking the other day to Chris Heath, uh, very, very good, uh, very good chat, word in your attic and so forth. And, uh, and Chris was talking about Jonathan Richmond, which made us think, Jonathan Richmond, there's a good person to get as a guest on one of our little yeah, new record podcasts, he's, whatever. He's going to leap at it. He's going to leap at it. Fabulous publicity opportunity. And so, and so, we are so naive. Aren't we? Tell us what happened, Mark. Well, you and I have both, we'll get on to this in a minute, but you and I have both got uh, experience of, of how gorgeously eccentric this fellow is. Hey, I, I, I got a hold of his PR in America, Blue Arrow Records, and I wrote her an email and explained what was involved. And uh, she wrote, I got it in front of me here, she says, Dear Mark, uh, this is Debbie. She says, thank you so much for your invitation. I will let Jonathan know that you reached out, reached but out. he consciously does not use the internet, computer, <laughs> or a cell phone, three dots, so I can safely say it's just not for him. <laughs> Sincerely, Debbie. <laughs> I thought, that is, I wrote back and I said, look, that's. I mean, that's just to be applauded, really. It is, absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely admirable. I was thinking immediately I made this mental calculation as to how much more time (laughs) I would have every day if I didn't use the internet, a computer, (laughs) or a cell phone. I I just, Dave, it would be months per year. Fantastic. I could go off and learn an exotic uh, and complicated instrument. I could, I could learn, you know, Sanskrit. I could, whatever. What, what would you all do? Jonathan, all, the, all Jonathan's eccentricities have been borne out by experience, one one way or another, haven't they? You know, he was the first person I ever knew. Um, and this would be 76, 77. Yeah. And I was working for his record company, and they said, We're going out for we're going out, going out for dinner with uh, Jonathan, and he's chosen the place we're going to go. We're going to go to a macrobiotic vegetarian restaurant. And we just looked at each other in 1976. What's like, that? Oh, what the bloody hell is that? Is that you just know? a radish then? Is it what do we get? It's just a piece of celery. Nowadays, you just wouldn't bat an eyelid at all, would you? No. And, uh, and Jonathan was the person who, you know, when he came over at that time, you know, played effectively acoustically. Because he used to say, uh, to the great hilarity of uh, your response, uh, he used to say that I don't want the little children hurting their ears. Yeah. And now you know, we're parents and grandparents. We think, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, everybody's grown up deaf because they're, they're assailed by overly loud music absolutely all the time. And of course, that was before the advent of the of the Walkman. Let alone the, you know, the iPhone and the iPod and, and so forth. So he's been proved right in in lots of things. You know, Jonathan kind of put a stake in the ground in about 1975, and he hasn't really shifted from it. He at was all. ahead of the game. He was ahead of the game what in the terms of, of fitness, wasn't he? You know, absolutely running. You know, I think didn't didn't you say that he once walked from Heathrow Airport? He, he, to he ran from Heathrow Airport he to Kingston. 
Yes, to Kingston. That's right. It's incredible. Isn't <laughs> he it? was, you know, he was, he was absolutely one of a kind. And as we were saying to to Chris Heath when we were talking about him, because Chris had chosen uh, a new record by Jonathan uh, as his best record ever made, or whatever. And uh, we were saying, you know, throughout the years, you listen to Jonathan Richmond records, whether they're Roadrunner or Hospital or Egyptian Reggae or Morning of Our Lives or You're Crazy for Taking the Bus or, you know, the things he had on. Uh, what was the film that he had? Uh, you know, the, the Cameron Diaz film. I can't remember. You know, all the stuff oh, you've heard. yes, that he appears in, doesn't he? That's right. All, yeah. all the stuff you've heard all throughout the years. Every time you've been gripped by a Jonathan Richmond record, and you have regularly during that yeah. time, you've been aware of the fact that there is nothing like this man. There's nothing even remotely like this man. No, and nothing, nothing before or after. No. Right? It's one of those very rare cases. You don't know where he came from, and you don't know anybody who has obviously been um, no, influenced by him, although clearly they have, but they don't sound anything like it. I've told you my... My one encounter with Jonathan Richmond, I think, haven't I? Go on. The Shepherd's Bush Empire. I went with my oldest son, who's a massive fan. This must have been about, oh, I don't know, maybe maybe about 10 years ago or something. And uh, we went along and I knew the PR. And the PR said, do you want to meet Jonathan? He said, God, we would absolutely love to. So we were taken into this dressing room afterwards and I assumed it would be just rammed with kind of uh, glad handers and well-wishers <laughs> and people eating the, the rider and drinking booze. I was completely silent. And in the corner, there was only one person in there. And it was Jonathan Richmond. And he was sitting there in the kind of half light, very low light. And he had in front of him um, some musical sheets and he was writing actual music. He was writing, writing, uh, you know, quavers and crotchets and minims onto staves on this music in pencil, and then rubbing out with 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 uh, with the rubber and, and rewrite. And I came in, I said, oh, Jonathan, I don't want to, you know, interrupt, I see you busy. And he got a piece of paper, he wrote on it, he said, um, I'm saving my voice because I'm on tour, so yeah. I'm only responding in writing. And he handed this this piece of paper. It was perfectly friendly. It wasn't like I don't want to, I don't want to be no. disturbed, you know. No. And Tommy and I had this really extraordinary exchange with him, which probably only lasted about five minutes because there's only so long you could sit in the room writing the answer. Yes, it gets a bit tired. We sort of said, you know, nothing more than kind of, we really enjoyed the show. And, you know, I don't know, we asked something about his acoustic guitar. He has that amazing guitar. And he plays without a strap, which is so extraordinary. It's yes. just to make life even more Even more difficult. Yes. It's even more difficult. So he waves it around. And he uses it as a kind of an instrument, as a kind of, as a kind of, uh, you know, uh, part of a stage prop, really, but it's very hard to play. And we had this extraordinary little exchange with him, and then out we went, and that was it. And that's exactly how I wanted him to be. Absolutely. Never a disappointment at all, Jonathan, throughout the years. Long may he reign. Um, we were talking last week about my theory that no girls ever screamed at any musician who has facial hair. Um, you know, which is... Which has been greeted with widespread approval, really, as a, the as a theory. Somebody just asked me, and I can't remember who it was, said, have the, have the Rolling Stones ever had facial hair? And he didn't think Ooh. they had. But go on. Go. Well, yeah, sir, Mick Jagger did. Sir, Mick Jagger did briefly. Okay. Yes, sir, sir. <laughs> Mick Jagger did, or was it just in Ned Kelly? And was it but this is what I was going to say. Oh. Ned, Mick, Mick Jagger had a fine, luxuriant, almost ZZ Top standard of beard, didn't he? Yes, he did. When he was appearing in the film Ned Kelly in 1970, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah. And but I've got a feeling he 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 wore the beard later on, although I don't know if he actually wore it in the Rolling Stones. I suppose that would be the clincher question. I have a mental image of him with a beard, but probably not on stage because on stage. With a beard, would he be Mick Jagger? No, he wouldn't. He's a, he's a, chin, he he's a chin music concept, isn't he? As, yeah, he as Alex was saying last week. Yeah. Then again, Charlie Watts did have a moustache, didn't he? Charlie he Watts, he, he had uh, he had a kind Not of... A wildly successful one, actually. No, it was a kind of, um, you know, Chinese detective type moustache kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. I, I somehow had a feeling that... Mac. Yeah. I somehow had a feeling that um, Bill Wyman had had a moustache, but then I couldn't... I can't see that. I couldn't, I don't I couldn't want to see it, place it at all. No. And I thought to myself, surely Ron would have had it from time to time. I mean, Mick Taylor possibly would have had one at some point. You get the feeling he would have had one. But anyway, 
You no, know, you're right. It... Should we also should say on the stones tip, what a monstrous travesty their stamps are. Have you oh, seen this collection of stamps? There's, 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 you know, it's, it's post office stamps, isn't it? It's Royal well, Mail stamps. They're official Rolling Stone stamps. And tell everybody what's wrong with them. Well, what's wrong? I, mean, I don't know where to start. I mean, it, uh, this is obviously a big revenue isn't it, for the, for the, for for the Royal Mail. They're pumping out stamps about absolutely anybody, you know. And they're always high denomination, you know. The, the one you want is first class, but there was always the £1.75 one. That's oh, really right. But anyway... The uh, I know it's because I went to try and buy some, and then and then I thought, why am I buying these things? And I had another look at them, and if there are eight of them. Key pop fact: I don't think there's a single picture from before 1971. I'm sure there isn't. And the second key pop pop fact is that none of those eight uh, uh, contains it includes either Bill Wyman or Brian Jones. Oh, so even Bill has been, so Bill, has been there's no sign of Bill and there is no sign of Brian. This is the Rolling Stones. There is one stamp that's entirely Ronnie Wood. Now, no disrespect to Ronnie Wood. He's been in the group since whatever it was, 1975. But it's still, I'm sorry, but if you're a bit old school, you can't think that Ronnie Wood uh, on his own could somehow epitomize. I think, I think the problem with the Rolling Stones is I don't think they own the bit of the Rolling Stones from which their mystique derives. Which is the earliest stuff, really? Because that's all owned by Abco, you know, Alan Klein's company or whatever. You know. And they they wouldn't own those own those pictures, would they? Well, possibly not. I don't know. They'd have to go and pay for them or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And of course, Brian Jones had, had you know had left by the um, by the time that you know because that period finishes, as you say, nineteen seventy one. It's yeah. when when the Rolling Stones start again with the the tongue the tongue logo and their own yeah. label and all all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I agree with you. It's not the Rolling Stones if you if you don't if you don't have those people. In oh there. God, the other Rolling Stones thing is: Did I send you that clip of? I think I did. Did you get a chance to look at the clip of the Stones' first appearance in Holland in nineteen seventy-four? Oh, I did. I did. Oh my With lord! The bouncers. Oh my god! We must we must include it at the end of this because anyone who hasn't seen it really ought to see it. It's really short. It's only about three or four minutes long. And I think it's taken by a girl who's in the audience, and it's basically their <coughs> first appearance. In yeah, it's in. I think it's in. Um, uh, I think it's near 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 the Hague. Yeah, uh, and uh, and it's an old kind of. It's an old kind of Victorian opera hall. You know, it's a beautiful old theatre, and clearly you forget. You know, they had no understanding of what a rock and roll concert was going to be like. In mm. August. the Beatles actually had played in Amsterdam, but I checked just a few months before. But before that, none of those kind of you know, events whereby there was going to be screaming women and hysteria and, you know, and it's just a riot, isn't it? It's a complete riot. But it's also, it's not just screaming women, isn't it? It's blokes, isn't it's, it? Yeah, it's, it's blokes. kind of it's trying, tearing trying to up seats. You look oh, at this thing and there, there are seats, kind of bits of seats and bits of chairs flying into vision and flying out again. And, and the, se- got the, the security, security is provided by it. It's not, it's not proper security not at security. all. It's, it's no. people who came along fancied a punch up and they got one. And they got they? one. Yeah, these are guys with suits and ties, and they're kind of part of the of the setup, or they just don't like the youth or whatever. And they're on stage, kind of just antagonizing these guys to some extent, aren't they? Pulling them out and throwing them back into the crowd and and punching them and kicking them. And it's just oh, it's amazing. And it ends up with a stage curtain being pulled about that they have to just abandon the whole thing, group go off. And they pull across the stage curtain, and these police stand there with batons. You remember the end bit? It's fantastic. Oh, Waiting to kind of, you know, to to uh, to uh, I, I think very often I think very often it was Scandinavia and Northern Europe was where it really kicked off for the Rolling Stones. Actually. Yeah. I think there are a lot of a lot of riots happened yeah. at Rolling Stones kicks in the in the sixties in that part of the world, more than they did in the UK. Okay. Listen, I have to ask you. I sat. I, I was trying to. Uh, Lucas Hare, uh, friend of the pod, uh, got in touch the other day, uh, and Lucas and Kerry Shale run a, a very good Bob Dylan podcast called "Is It Rolling Bob," and uh, and they wanted to know from uh, the the expression "his Bobness" to apply to Bob Dylan. Where did it Where did it come from? And um, and you, you thought it was Adrian Devoy, didn't you? I'm sure it was Adrian Devoy. I think it was when we were at Q because yeah. Dylan had a, a record out called Oh Mercy in about 1989, I think. <laughs> oh, the, crikey, the, oh, as we used to call it. Everything on Q just had a different name. Just <laughs> hilarious. Oh, crikey. We read when it was amply fed. You know, we thought this was just <laughs> terribly fun. 
I don't know why. There was a guy called uh, called uh, Carl Wallinger of, of the group World Party, and he was known as Colin Bollinger. <laughs> I, again, I don't know why. It's not even particularly funny. Because he's known no, as Colin. I'm sorry, it's funny. It's funny. It's, it's funny. It's funny. funny. No, it's funny. Everything, and, uh, everything. and you and did a bit of a study of it, didn't you? Yeah. Well, the, although you go further, you think it begins with Olivia Neutron Bomb. I think Olivia Neutron Bomb. I think that's what started it. That's <laughs> what I remember as a kid. I mean, it's the early 70s that people talked about Olivia Neutron Bomb, didn't they? <laughs> and and by, uh, Byron Ferrari. Byron Ferrari. Byron Ferrari. Byron Ferrari and the enemy, a, a, of enemy. course. He was, uh, he couldn't, I think if you wrote Brian Ferry in the copy, it was the subs would change it to Byron Ferrari. <laughs> well, someone write it, I, AKA Byron Ferrari. I think you mean. <laughs> no, I, that was amazing. It's smash hits. I mean, can you remember all the ones of smash hits? I can still remember them. Wacky Macca Thumbs Aloft. Yes. Lord the Lord, Lucan of Mercury. The Lord Lucan of Mercury. Yeah. And the, the Dame, David Bowie, which is which has really gone into come into general currency, hasn't it? The Dame. It's, it has. It's, it's still there. Was, people, yeah. people refer to, to him, her as the Dame, and uh, <laughs> and rightly so. Actually, uh, there was Mark, unpronounceable name of big country. Do you remember him, Mark Brzezinski? I think his name was. He Polish? I think I don't know. Something like that. Yeah, there was the leather lunged songstress. Who was that? You, you guys, body Tully. We ought to, we ought to make this oh, yeah, we quiz should do, yeah. some people. She's also known as the poodle-haired Vixtress. <laughs> okay, all right. You have to guess who this is then. Volleyball ping pong or Ben Volavon Paro. Parrot, rather. No, Vol <laughs> Volapolier Piero, wasn't it? Piero. Was it from Curiosity Build the Cat? Was that right? And then, then, of course, you two were, as we frequently observed on this podcast, you two were known at Smash Hits as Bobo the Hedge, Larry Mullion, Larry Mullion Jr., with Jr. in inverted, Junior commas. inverted commas. Yeah. And uh, the other one. And, uh, the and other uh, one. Comma. Can you imagine how damning that must have been? For That's very play? good. Oh, and uh, Natalie Umbrulio was known as. Oh, Natalie Umbrella Stand. <laughs> There was Madge, of course. Madge, that's, Clifford is, Richard. that's another one that took off. You see, Madonna referring to Madonna as Madge. Madge, no people call the, 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 the tabloids call them Madge because it's just, it's just it's a short of you can get her on the cover, can't you, Madge? I suppose that's true. That's true. So yeah. Clifford of Richard was uh, <laughs> was this Christina Aquilibra? A Christina Aquilibra, yeah. It's after my time. It was Aquavita. Stephen T. Tal Duffy. <laughs> Ross were always known as uh, Matt, Luke, and Ken. You remember that? He was known as Ken. The other time, I actually can't remember his name now. No, and Viz comic. Craig he was known as that. Craig. Was Craig? He that's right. Craig Viz picked right. up on that. They always talked about about Ken from uh, from Ross. Uh, Billy Idol. Was, Billy Idol was who? Uh, Sibilium. 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 And of course, still in the news today, uh, because she's kind of squabbling with her sister, is Broccoli Spears. Broccoli Spears. And uh, Patsy Kenton was known as Cheesy Watson. Cheesy Watson. It's just genuinely funny, isn't it? <laughs> I think they're really, I love those things. And I still maintain that some of that went into, into kind of common parlance. I went to see QPR in, in the early 90s with my boys in the days when uh, Les Ferdinand was the big striker. And people used to sing, Sir Les Lee Ferdinand, Sir Les Lee Ferdinand. And I actually genuinely think that was straight out of Smash Hits because that was Sir Lord Lucan of Mercury and all that nonsense, wasn't it? Was anyone called Sir before? I don't know if they were. I'd like to think it was Smash Hits. The Word Podcast. Prime cuts of popular culture served fresh each week. So listen, the question of the BBC licence fee comes comes back into focus this week, which it does, you know, regularly from time to time. It's a political football, all of those kind of things, and everybody kind of rushes to the barricades, you know. And uh, I just want to make make a couple of points about about the BBC, and I value the BBC and so forth, and uh, you know, long may it rain. Um, but there's no point denying. <laughs> You, you, you're. Uh, it, it comprises a smaller percentage of your listening and viewing diet than it did in the past. It's bound Absolutely. to because yeah. there's just more and more, more and more stuff. And you know, frequently I, I sit there and, th and think, do I ever watch BBC One? No. Do I ever watch BBC Two? Probably not. You know. Do I watch BBC Four? Probably not. You know. There's a, there's a load of radio services that I used to. I used to have to listen to it, and I sort of don't, you know, because I access news the other way. Yeah. yeah, and that doesn't mean I don't value it and so forth. But what's what's interesting is how these things change. And um, 
you know, the, the, what we always used to say in the world of magazines was there's difference, there's difference people recognize, and there's difference people recognize value. And the third thing is the most important, the most important quality. Yeah. And so it's only recently it struck me that there is a BBC service that I've come to value significantly in the last few years. What would that be, Mark? The iPlayer? No, it's CBeebies because I've got grandchildren. Oh, okay. And so, 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 you know what I mean? As soon as you've got grandchildren, something you put on the telly that, you know, is kind of all right. So, you know, it's not going to deprave and corrupt and so forth. Yeah. And they're going to quite happily sit and watch it. You know, so so my point is that, you know, these these services, they kind of, they suddenly become really important to you at certain points in your life. And another another thing, I kind of think that the thing that BBC really should have done, they really missed a trick in not starting Talking Pictures TV. Completely. Because Talking Pictures TV, you know what they I mean? must be it's, sore about It's that. aimed at older people who quite happily watch old black and white films, and they don't even have to be brilliant. They don't mind. They just like it. It's kind of comforting, it's comforting. to sit it's and watch and it. And, familiar people. and, and if, the, if the BBC did that, I'd think, yeah, okay, that would go into my calculations. You know what I mean? Whereas there's no point telling me how wonderful everything is you're doing on BBC too, because I probably don't watch it. Because, you know, loads of things are aimed at really general audience, whereas the stuff that you value tends to be things that, that are aimed at you very particularly. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And uh, and those things change as you go along, you know. And I'm sure there are loads of people who really value, I don't know, Six Music or, or, or Radio 3 or whatever, you know. But it's, it's those things you feel strongly about matter more than those things that you might tolerate. And so much of the argument is about what you might tolerate. And, you know, I, I just think, I just think they ought to have more things that people really feel strongly about. That's my view. So anyway, um, the Beatles. Very fair point. And I'm with you on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm still, I still can't imagine a world without Radio 4, I have to say. I know. Well, fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, But it probably means that ultimately it's got to be more like hardcore Radio 4 and less like Radio 4 that we can get people to tolerate. Because that that's way that's the way media works. It's it's things you want you really want, rather yeah. than things you'll tolerate. You know, because in the past it used to be things you'd tolerate, and now that you've got loads and loads and loads of choices, you you choose the thing that you really want. And that's the that's the difficult that's the difficult but challenge. This, the BBC still does stuff that that nobody else does. You know. Oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> We were actually listening in. In fact, you know, what it was eleven o'clock last night to bunk beds with the great Peter Curran. Oh, absolutely! He of this uh, of this podcast on many yeah. occasions. There's Peter Curran and Patrick Marber talking to I think it's Harry Shearer, and, and and drifting off to sleep as we were drifting off to sleep. Actually, yeah, yeah. No, no. Where else in the world? The envy of the world. Where else would somebody be commissioning a fifteen minute program where three people record genuinely in the dark? They do it in the dark. And, and I was very, uh, the only thing and, I'm slightly disappointed about, I've always been slightly disappointed about like bunk beds, is they don't do it lying down. Oh, I think they do, but they don't do it on bunk I beds. I, do they do it lying down? Oh, I thought they did. Peter Curran, Peter Curran, if you're listening, do you, lie, do you do it lying down? Because I always think it would sound different if you did it lying down. Anyway. Yeah, well, I'm convinced. But anyway, God bless the BBC. So, um, the, uh, the, the, the other the other burning issue is 2022. Again, is the Beatles. <laughs> you know, this 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 get back and all these things. It just it continues you know, unabated, doesn't it? Really, yeah. Kind of enthusiasm and fascination for this stuff. And um, and there's been a couple of a uh, couple of kind of editorials in the last week. I think one of them in the FT. Uh, and one of them on, on Substack, just about is this fascination with, uh, you know, the Beatles in particular and old music in general, 
Is it a good thing? Yeah, yeah. it's beautifully put. I've, I've scribbled it down and said it, it, it's likely that people uh, obsess over the Beatles because there is nothing new around. And there is nothing new around because people obsess over the Beatles. I thought that's a really interesting point. And I don't know what the answer is. But I mean, clearly, in times of trouble, I think a lot of people go back, and particularly with the, in the night of Get Back, which was such a massive international event, wasn't it? A Beatles event. Again, who thought that would ever happen? No, but a load no. of people have gone back to music that they just kind of found comforting, you know. But but it's interesting, isn't it? Is is, is old music? Is it is it completely, you know, keeping the new music out? I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. I mean, it just the um, you know, a lot of it is just streaming because you know, if if you can stream everything, as we frequently said, yeah, everybody has got the same record collection. It yeah. <laughs> used to be the case thirty years ago. You know, you didn't go to many houses that had a full set of Beatles records or a full set of David Bowie records or anybody. <laughs> I mean, whereas everybody now does. So if you're thinking about what to play, are you more likely to play something that was kind of familiar to you than to have a stab at something that you've never tried before? I would suggest more, most people are more likely to do the former than the latter. It's just because the latter is just hard work, isn't it? It's a challenge. It might not work out, you know. And it's and, a risk. And you could say the same about the industry, whether the industry want to sign up people who they can't immediately fit into a category that radio will play or well, whatever. It, except the because, industry for years, you know, the, the record industry is obsessed with novelty. Has been ever since the Beatles. That desperately is all about what's coming out this week. If you go and talk to anybody in a record company, I mean, they're not record companies anymore, music companies or whatever. What are they thinking about? What's coming out this week? That's all their focus is. Whereas, actually, how are people, you know, interacting with their products? They're interacting with an incredibly wide range of them, you know, but but they don't tend to be terribly interested in that. They're interested in, you know, they're, they're incentivized in, they're focused on, can I break this new thing? And and the amount of public enthusiasm for that is a small proportion of the of the wider enthusiasm than it's ever been before. Because as we frequently said, who bought records in the 60s? Teenagers. Who bought records in the 70s? Teenagers and people in their 20s. Who bought records in the 80s? Teenagers and people, people in the 20s, 20s and their 30s. Yeah. <laughs> and it moves forward. And so where are we now? Who bought, who listened to music? All sorts of people right across the board. You cannot expect it to be dominated by teenagers. It simply won't be any more than football. It won't be. And also the teenagers, one of those pieces made the point that, you know, in the current list of most downloaded tracks on iTunes, it's full of names from, you know, from the last century, isn't it? It's full of the police and it's Queen's Clearwater Revival, you know. And that's not that's not necessarily the people in their 40s and 50s. That, that's just as likely to be teenage. It's like that argument. If you were, you know, if you were if you were 15 now, you could go and listen to something new or you could discover Joni Mitchell, yeah. you know, and it's it, those are quite difficult decisions, aren't they? There is only so much time. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I think, I think a lot of this, whenever I hear this argument that the old is driving out the new, I think the argument is that the new feels that it ought to be special. You know, it ought to be kind of prioritized yeah. over everything, everything else. And it can't be. It won't be. You know, there will be lots of new music. God, I hate that expression. You know, it sounds so, sounds so pompous to me. It does. Sounds as like if, a real effort to be in As touch. if anything that like is what new, new is... you listening to. Yeah. <laughs> yeah what, what should I be listening to? Yeah. Whatever you feel like. Um, you know, and uh, it always feels that it's somehow virtuous. You know, if, if yeah. you listen to loads of new music, you, 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 new music is whatever you've never listened to before, you know, uh, uh, whatever is new to you. And that's likely to be all kinds of stuff. But it won't it won't have the prestige that it had, I don't think, uh, you know, not, not in the foreseeable future. But it'll be there. And, you know, God knows there are, you know, people at the absolute top of the game in the in the world of streaming, are making sums of money that that their predecessors from 40 years ago could only have dreamed about making, you know. Yeah. Uh, because, because, you know, what happens nowadays is uh, it's like everything in the internet. It's a winner-takes-all business, isn't it? You know, there's a few people at the top making an absolute fortune, and then everybody else is kind of struggling. But there's still no shortage of people trying to join them, you know. There's no indication that there aren't still people making, you know, their own recordings and forming, well, whether they're groups or, or musical setups. Or they one are, way or the other. opposition is just growing every day, isn't it? Well, the, the opposition is whatever you've just done, yeah. <laughs> you know, because, you know, you'll be, you'll be there a year later and there'll be somebody else coming along and you won't want to go away. Because what happens in music is nobody goes away, ever. We've established that, haven't we? This is a junction in the Word podcast. It separates that bit from this next bit. All right, any other business? We're joined by Alex Gold. Alex, you've got your beetle cap on. Yeah, beetle I've got cap my beetle right. cap on. It's new as well. Uh, I upgraded. Uh, because the last one was too small for my fat head. And what I found was that when I was... Alex, Alex nothing about you is fat. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Flattering clothes. Um, but I, I found that when I wore my wig, um, it used to poof out at the sides, which is very unjohn. So I, I upgraded to... I think this is extra large, actually, believe it or not. We should uh, uh, just explain to any occasional listeners that Alex plays the part of John Lennon in a tribute group. Uh, mm. Hence, that's why he wears a wig. <laughs> Otherwise, oh yeah, yeah, it's not. not I don't. I don't wear a wig <laughs> in normal life yet. Everybody, no. uh, do you uh, know that wonderful Ben Vaughan song called "I Dig Your Wig"? No, but no. I feel a like compulsion to listen to it. To your hair, your hair's so tall, it's three dimensional. Oh, that's good. That's, that's that is good. A bit of poetic license what, there, isn't it? What can yeah. be said about that thing on your head? It sure is big. I dig your wig. It's a great, great that's song. A, that's, a, that's a great lyric. Uh, we were talking about last week or whenever it was about how much you would pay or has have paid to see somebody live in concert. How Al Hirton uh, got in touch via Patreon. Um, they talking about he went to Kate Bush at Hammersmith Odeon uh, in 2014, as did a number of people, and he tried every way he possibly could to get the more affordable tickets found that they're all gone. So the only ones you could get were the hospitality tickets, which were 400 of your English pounds each. And he says he doesn't regress it. I'm sure bit. he didn't. No, I'm sure he didn't. I bet he didn't. Why not? So no. once in a while, is Kate Bush ever going? That's the whole thing, is it? You're, you're it, paying to see people who might never tour again. You see, I, I, I've got I mean, put a supplementary question to Al here. How would you feel? If, if she was on tour now, <laughs> I know nobody's on tour. Back. 
Well, yeah. whatever, you know, people... She never said it was her last tour, though. No, no, she didn't. Whereas there have been a lot of people who've said, you know, it's, it's the long goodbye, isn't it? And they come back here two years later. Yeah, yeah. Waving the cap about. You know. Sarah LeClaire got in touch, also via Patreon, uh, from the United States, and she says that uh, COVID, it's the longest she's gone since um, uh, since she was 13, I think, um, uh, without seeing the who. And uh, and she misses it badly, you know. And she used to go and see the who. She regularly paid five hundred dollars plus to see them in the past, and it was worth every penny. She would, uh, if uh, to see them again, she would mortgage her house and put her twelve-year-old son up for sale, which was slightly extreme, but you know. And um, you know, she, she come back to America, Pete and Roger, take my money, all of it. There's there's an invitation. There's devotion. Yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> a simple critical devotion. Yeah, 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 yeah. So um we were I was asking for questions for for uh from from people who uh who might have anything they want to put to us, and I'm just desperately scrolling through this stuff on my phone. Please fill here. Oh, there was one, no, there's one. Hang on, I've got it, I've got it up in front of me actually. Keith, oh, Keith Anthony's one was good. Oh, go on. About uh, it says the news that Daniel Radcliffe is playing Weird Al Yankovic. Yes, that's bizarre. I know it is, isn't it? That's bizarre. Go on. What's his question? Well, that's his question. Is can you think of any castings uh, of musical biopics uh, that, that that would and, and major stars who could play them? He says, "What about Gary Oldman's Nick Lowe?" I thought it was quite good. I'm saying Michael Sheen as um, as uh, Get Back era Paul McCartney. All right. Okay. Keely Hawes as Kirsty McColl. Oh. Any of these work for you? Ewan McGregor as Iggy Pop. Richard Gere looks exactly like late period Roger Waters. I think my, here's my best one. Martin, oh, right. That's a good one. Richard Gere does look like late period look Roger Waters. Martin Freeman as Noel Gallagher, I think would be good. Actually, I'm going to go back a second. Can I just, sorry, I'm fixated yeah, on. on this. Wasn't Roger Waters on the cover of The Word? Yeah, he was. And he looked just like Richard Kidd, didn't he? Unbelievably like yeah. Richard Kidd. Yeah, I told him so in the interview. He was rather flattered. I bet he was. As you, you would be. You, you would be. be. Yeah, you yeah, would yeah. be. Jaram, uh, January Blues says, do you think any fast tempo song has ever been improved by being performed as a ballad? Most of them turn into dirges, in my opinion. I think that's a fair point, actually. I can think of one. I can. I can, might be able to think of more than one exception, but... Um, I wouldn't wouldn't say it's a ballad. Go on, Alex. You go first. Go on. Yeah. So a few years ago, there was a jam tribute album uh, put together and loads of different artists were on it. Um, uh, A band called Buffalo Tom did a version of Going Underground and it was reduced to a halftime kind of ballady type thing. And to my ears at least it was magnificent and it still is it's really 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 good it kind of pulls out a whole new emotion from the song uh huge huge success but i can't think of anything else the one i was going to suggest was uh the cowboy junkies version of the velvet underground sweet jane she's done very very slowly and i actually prefer it to the velvet underground version of sweet jane but they tend to you know, if you do something really slowly, what you're saying really is, wow, how poignant is this, <laughs> aren't you? you know, yeah. There's something in the very it's worth of, savoring. Yes. <laughs> it's something something slightly uh slightly uh you know self-important about it. Yeah. Um and uh any artists you like on record but seen like live and thought they were terrible this is dave waters is asking this oh i saw that that's the guy who saw the streets wasn't it he saw the streets streets and felt exactly the same because they made great records were incredibly boring on stage really yeah yeah very disappointing Uh, streets i suppose it's just like mike skinner going i've got some chips (laughs) exactly that (laughs) (laughs) what you don't really need to see him do that just saying the record entirely you can't you can't kind of increase the Am I right at this? I'm making this up as I go along. <clears throat> you can't increase the intensity of hip hop in the live performance arena, can you? Uh, mm, I don't know. No, I don't know. I think it's a different kind of energy. Uh, and I think you have to really. Um, I'm sure the energy comes from the crowd, though, surely. 
I think it's a little bit of both. It's, I mean, it's very much an exchange. I saw the performance of, uh, you know, the rapper, rapper Dave, um, as a rapper called Dave, yeah. and he played at Glasgow a couple of years ago. And it was absolutely ere- electric. And I couldn't put my finger on why, because I'm absolutely no expert. That's not my arena. And Stormzy's headline set as well was absolutely fantastic. It felt massively, massively urgent. Uh, and I'm, I don't know enough about the genre, I don't feel, to be able to comment on why, but it can be done. So, right. But by the same token, I saw I was I was at Glastonbury when Kanye headlined, and I thought it was a massive disappointment. Right. So, um, Somebody wanted to know, I can't find their uh, their tweet here. They wanted to know how, how <laughs> the other Dickens, Mark and I had ever met Alex. How we met Alex? Well, he, obviously he came round to, you know, sweep the chimney. Um, <laughs> Please, sir. Spare us a little bit more pie. I was wearing this very Be off hat, with actually. you, Urchin. And we flew some, threw some florins at him. <laughs> <laughs> After which he scrabbled in the streets. Apple cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> tell, tell, answer the question, Alex, because you know. Go on. Well, um, gosh. So I was working for a, a music marketing company out of uni. Uh, called Upfront Promotions and I went to get that job because I was working in a strip club and my mum wrote me a letter asking me to get a proper job. <laughs> she didn't yep. know this. You actually I was working in a strip club. club. Yep. It was, wow. uh, it, was, it was great for a couple of weeks but then it got, got really boring. I wasn't on stage um, <laughs> just, to, just to clarify. Um, what did you do? Just play the piano or something? Or No, I poured the pints and, and got goggled. That's <laughs> true. Um, it, this sounds as if it's working its way towards the old joke about, you know, my mother doesn't know I'm in a- advertising. Yeah, I it tell was, her I play piano and a play piano yeah. <laughs> It was the world's grossest strip club. It's, it's a place in High Wycombe called yeah. the White Horse. It's and a strip club in High yeah. Wycombe. Yeah, like yeah. This. No, horrible little pound in a pot place um it was a strip club by day and a metal venue by night but um, kings of leon played their first uk gig there and they, there's yeah. an interview somewhere where they're being asked what's that what's the worst show they've ever played and they talk about this horrible hovel somewhere west of london it's a white horse <laughs> right. um anyway um my mother it was the one and only time she's ever written me a letter and it was a nine pager i think just asking me really, oh, really got sweetly. It? uh i've got it somewhere yeah yeah to sort your life out, Alex. Nine you know. pages. She had nine pages to tell you to get out the the strip club. <laughs> well, it's nine nine pages of A five, but still yeah. nine pages. You know, um, yeah, essentially. So uh, my friend was leaving this this job, and uh, he got me an interview, and I got the gig. Um, and part of our thing, we did an awful lot of stuff. We did um, uh, marketing campaigns for like REM and Green Day, and the the the, the postering for festivals, and. We helped Dave put together the, and manufacture the, the way the Mixed Mag CDs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and one day I was on uh, the bus uh, to a meeting at Beggars Banquet Records, and Jerry Perkins, the MD of Development Hell, gave me a call and said, uh, "Alex, um, do, would you like to come in house?" Um, and uh, and we met in a pub, and um, and he gave me a position at Development Hell, and. That was it, wasn't it? Really, I can remember the first morning I met you, and for some reason, you were almost uh, immediately called up Magic Alex. Oh, I, I remember you bounded into the office and went, "Oh, Alex, we've got to give you, a, we've got to give you a nickname." And he <laughs> went, uh, "Magic, Magic, you're Magic Alex." Like, oh, you are on. Magic Alex. That's, I'm sorry, there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, and, it and it stuck to the extent I feel a bit weird when you call me Alex now. When you don't call me Magic, I kind of I feel like I know, I've you been... think when we call you you, you uh, Alex, you sound uh, we sound as though we're being a bit stern. And, I feel uh, like I've been I'm in trouble. You've yeah, done, you've done something wrong. <laughs> <laughs> reprimanded. So but, uh, ja- Jamie Bowman asks, with Mal Evans heralded as the star of Get Back, as he appears to have been. And and they're making a film about Mal Evans, aren't they, or something? There's something going on. Are they? Good idea. Are there any other band roadies, backroom staff who deserve their moment in the sun? Oh well, they should have a little. uh, They ought to do an edit from from the get uh, get back footage of of just Glyn Johns. I think (laughs) Glyn Johns has become a bit of a star. Yeah, but he's not. He's he's not a manager. Is not a manager. No, no. Richard Cole. I don't know. uh, Peter Grant. Well, you see, I I well, he was talking about road managers, really. And um, I think Mal, I think it's a good idea, Mal Evans and so forth. But actually, Neil Aspinall, that is the Neil amazing, amazing story. Amazing story. Because, and this is not even that long ago. 
I remember Paul Denoyer telling me the story of Neil Aspinall and, and uh, you know, was it Pete Beth's mother? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, this is very complicated because it was exactly at the time because he was involved. Pete was, uh, Neil was the kind of uh, the original roadie and he went on eventually, didn't he? The, 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 the it ran of, Apple. Of Apple, ran Apple, you know, he was, he was, the, he was the custodian of their, their legacy, actually. But he was working for them very in the very early days when Pete Best was in the group. And I think Pete, Pete Best's mum, Mona, had a club, didn't she? That used to play. She had a club and she was quite young. Casbar, was it called? Yeah, 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 something like yeah, that. Yeah. And, and, and she, she was uh, very, very young, attractive. Really and she uh, had a bit of a fling with Neil. And uh, in fact, they have a they have a son. They had a child. They had a child. So, so, so Pete Best, Pete Best's half brother, yeah, was the son of Neil Aspinall. Yeah, you know, how complicated is that? Yeah, you know, so you know they, and that, that's and so so this is before they Alex is still trying to compute this. He's trying to work it out, and so you know they you know they. they before they made it, they've already got that bond, you know, that ties them all together. And uh, Neil Aspinall died, however many years, not that long ago. Not really. that long ago. And, uh, and, you know, and ran Apple and knew absolutely. Talk about a man who knew where the bodies were buried. Neil Aspinall, probably more than anybody else in that whole world, probably more than Paul McCartney, Probably more than George Martin, he knew absolutely everything, and he never talked about it at all, did he? And he had the real foresight to to realise early on that they should own everything. Yeah. Buy up every picture, buy up every tape, buy up every bit of footage and clip, because one day we will build this kind of fantastic... And, you know, if you talk about Get Back... If you talk about Get Back, the extraordinary success of Get Back in the last two months or whatever, that's Neil Aspinall, isn't it? Yeah, that's the long view of Neil Aspinall, guy. Guy who was a who was a bookkeeper in Liverpool and a kind of mate of John Lennon and Paul McCartney's, wasn't he? Uh, you know, in ninety sixty one, ninety sixty two. It's absolutely extraordinary story. Neil but Aspinall no, I'm sure. Music. I'm sure there are loads of uh, kind of roadies and. Um, I was Derek the draw from the Blockheads. Derek, you finished up being the singer. Actually, you finished yes. up being the singer of the, of the group after yeah. after Ian died. Amazing yeah. character. Yeah, and um, the I, I, one crossed my um, my radar this week, and it's only a minor one, but it's really interesting because I think I met this guy. Is that uh, do you remember Madness? Had, and I think he worked with Nick Lowe. He had a guy called Kellogg's. Oh yeah, Kellogg's. You probably knew Kellogg's, didn't no, you? No, I never met him, but I've I've heard a lot about him. Yeah. Okay, so Kellogg's came from South End, and uh, because he came from South End, he was. He was the, um, the one of the roadies with Procol Harum. And so I love Procol Harum. And so when Procol Harum recorded A Salty Dog, which is one of my favourite Procol Harum songs in, I think, 1969 or whatever, it features one of these. Hey, a bosun's, the bosun's whistle. whistle. A bosun's whistle. And who plays the bosun's whistle? Kellogg's. Does he get a credit? Kellogg's. He, got, he, he got a credit. He got a credit. Oh, rightly so. And uh, and you know, and he was uh, he was still kicking around. You know, well, more than kicking around, he managed Madness and he worked with Nick Lowe and loads yeah, of those acts. Very, you know. Everyone loved him. Uh, they were very much a love person, you know. So uh, I think there are the there are you know loads of loads of characters like that uh, over the years. Uh, Phil Phil Turner says. Uh, Gary Crowley did a Philadelphia International Records mega mix on Saturday Radio uh, last week, presumably. Controversial view, but was Philadelphia International Records a better label than either of the more lauded Motown or Atlantic? Right, I'm going to... I'm not qualified to answer. I don't think. You're going to have to go ahead, Dave, on this one. I'm going to say no. No is the answer. It wasn't. (laughs) You're saying it's better than Motown? I think no. Even I, without much experience, (laughs) quite a lot of experience in Motown, would say that's a very hard mountain to climb. (laughs) No, that's not going to. That's not going to wash. Sorry. We had a Philadelphia International flourished for a brief period of time. Atlantic flourished for an awful long time. Yeah. 
uh, across across many uh, many different eras, as did Motown. You know. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we're all entitled to our opinions. Uh, what else has been happening? You know, if you if you're aware of the fact that we're doing this effectively by candlelight, that that means that you're you're watching this uh, rather than just listening to it. I've you genuinely w- got a lighted candle behind me, actually, because we're doing go. it at night. Yeah, we're doing it at night, For lots of unusual. reasons, Alex flying off abroad tomorrow, we're yeah. doing it at night, and so it's a different vibe. So if you're watching it, you're probably one of our much-valued Patreon supporters, and, and if you'd like to watch it in the future and be one of our most valued Patreon supporters, uh, if you go to patreon.com slash word in your ear, you can find out details about how you might do that and how you could potentially, you know, we could join you for uh, on the occasion of your birthday, as we've done in the last week, I think, with uh, with a couple of people, I think. What else has been going on in the last week? Uh, we, to- we talked to gr- Curtis Tigers. The great Curtis Tigers. It was Tiger. really good. I don't know if that's up yet. It's it's up for patrons, but it's it, that's terrific. What a likeable guy. He's just what a funny and interesting. And he cool. just reminded me, I couldn't help thinking this, I tweeted this, that, um, you know, when you, you know, back in the days when you used to go to interview people all the time, and you come back to the office and people would say, what was he like or she like or whatever? And the highest compliment you can ever pay anybody was saying, very good value. Actually. Good value. Very good value. Good value is a great expression. It means they're really good fun, but also it's got some commercial yes. potential. Yes. Good value means they said something so funny, we're going to put it on the cover. It's going to sell a few copies. <laughs> yeah. And uh, and there were not too many ums and ahs and so forth. Yeah. And Curtis Steigers was absolutely fantastic value, wasn't he, Alex? Really he good. I'll tell you he was good value too. It was Chris Heath. We talked to our old pal yeah, Chris yeah. Heath. We met in the early days. God, he told some good stories about smash hits too. Yes. Chris now lives in America and people will be very aware of his fantastic journalism. You know, Rolling Stone and American GQ. And he wrote those great Pet Shop Boys books. And he just tells some really funny stories. And, uh, and has and sensational were, hair. Who else have we talked to recently? Richard Williams? Richard Richard Williams. Williams. Oh, marvellous. Richard Williams, the the wonderful, wonderful journalist. Great hero of mine. And he told told one absolutely priceless story about the Rolling Stones. He was the usher at a Rolling Stones club. Oh, yeah. Played in Nottingham. And he had to be an usher in his school uniform. And he said his job was to stand behind Charlie Watts and spend a lot of the time pulling girls off Charlie Watts. Girls that he knew from school. (laughs) In his school school uniform. With his tie on, yeah. Very that funny. Was, that, that was really that was before theory. cool was the rule. Yeah. Um, so you know, all this all this wealth of material is uh, is available to you on uh, on kind of uh, in full, in living color, and early. Very often, if you're a Patreon supporter, so uh, you know, go to patreon.com, word in your ear, and find out how you could do that. Anything you'd like to add, Alex, before you go to the sea? Uh, be excellent to each other. <laughs> this podcast was brought to you by The Word. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 